0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Rare Possessions Podcast. This is Chapter 20 of The Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon. I'm your host, Nick Glutty, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Welcome, Jared. Hello, hello. So we have another shorter chapter, but one that's nevertheless very interesting because it lays out the kingship of Nephi and some of the successive kings that ruled in righteousness. And there's a few different reasons why this may have been a topic, but what are some of the things maybe from George Q. Cannon's history that would be a reason he's talking about
1: kings? This is something I hadn't thought of until just now when you're introducing the subject is the fact that many of the many of the saints are uh, British. It was the British converts that rescued the church at this point. Uh, well, rescued the point earlier on when they came over and... Um, Maybe it's a little bit of talking down the idea of kingship and monarchy and trying to weld them closer to d- democratic <laughs> ideals. But yeah, he he certainly discusses a
0: reduced form of kingship among the Nephites. Right. And and we know that the Book of Mormon is is kind of a didactic narrative where it's trying to teach us lessons. So there's always a reason why these selective stories are brought about. And so in this particular place, he's talking about kingship and righteous leadership, but He gives a rather limited description of a monarchy, a very much more shrunk version where the king is for the people, not the people for the king, which also Mm -hmm. feels a little different. And it's it's, it's more of a monarchy that
1: you'd see described for a city-state rather than for a nation-state.
0: Right. In fact, I always kind of looked at this idea as he feels more like a mayor than a king. Mm -hmm. I agree. With this too, we have the succession of kings – George Buchanan talks about the idea that things were much more patriarchal rather than, and I'm gonna slot it monarchical? Something like that. There's a couple of consonants <laughs> monarchy involved. based. Yes. We might say. I don't even know if that's a word anymore, but the question is asked, was Nephi's son the first king? And where might someone get that assumption? Someone could get that assumption because they call
1: they they call their kings second Nephi, third Nephi, fourth Nephi, and so forth. The name Nephi itself becomes a regnal name. Would that be like Caesar? It, yeah, maybe pro- Caesar would probably be a good, a good analogy okay. for that. Maybe not in the style of leadership. Yes, yes. Hopefully, <laughs> there's no a two brute moments in Nephite history. Not that we have. But, uh, well, you got that more with Amalekiah and the Lamanites.
0: So that's why people would think that Nephi mm-hmm. was Nephi's son. Yeah, because but, it was named after Nephi, named after Nephi. in title. Mm-hmm. But you have Nephi
1: appointing a man to be king over them, a man whose name is not given.
0: Which is rather curious. It is. If it, it was is. his son, you would see that being mentioned, but because he talks about Jacob is le- leaving, or leading the church after him, mm-hmm. so there are instances... And Joseph's instances, still a teacher somewhere, we get right. the impression. So we we do have names mentioned as appointees after the fact, but as far as the king, do you think maybe that was in another set of plates?
1: I think it could have been mentioned in the, um, in the book of Lehi, probably in there. Sixteen pages. Yeah. At this point, this is later on, this is a small plates, small plates that are being recorded later than the large plates. Maybe something happened with that king and Nephi or Jacob wasn't that happy with the way he had done things. Or and they Mormon. decided... Yeah, more, well, yeah, and they just decided, you know what? I'm not going to give his name here. I'm not going to dignify that. I, I get the impression that it may have been a nephew, um, maybe one of Sam's children, uh, or potentially a, a descendant of Zoram. Uh, we, we just don't know. Right. Or even one of the, even one of the um, children of one of DeFi's sisters. We know that he had more than one. They're mentioned when they had to flee into the wilderness. Yeah. And it, it's interesting, some Native American cultures, this is, this is def, a definite tangent. Power, actually, for, among the chiefs, passes from uncle to nephew, not father to son. Um, they have a very interesting thing. We probably need to edit that out. That's actually mostly the Cherokee, but uh, <laughs> but we don't. We just don't know who this was, and uh, and we don't know too much about Nephite kingship here. The the kings pretty much fade uh, from the record after this point. Jacob doesn't really spend any time on it. Enos really doesn't.
0: Well, we get the impression that they were
1: righteous. We we
0: get that impression, and maybe it's because well, there wasn't anything bad to report that we think that.
1: There's been some interesting speculation here. Which um, is what we're doing. Yeah, which is what we're doing. <laughs> Toss my tie over my shoulder here. That in terms of the quality of leadership, I, I know some, and they're still. This is, a, this is unpublished, so I'm not going to say who, but thinks that the Nephite kingship actually faded into apostasy rather quickly. Hmm. And the Nephites themselves are not an exceptionally righteous people. You get that impression in Jerem when he talks about having to threaten them into righteousness and in an omni where... I can't remember who if, who if, who it is it says I am of myself a wicked man. One of the people, one of the prophets, quote unquote prophets, person with the stewardship of the records, the yeah. descendant of Jacob, does not consider himself a righteous man. And you get that impression too with President Cannon talks about there there may have been a change of dynasty when they uh, when they flee. Um, I don't think the original Nephite monarchy stayed in power, and I think Mosiah the Elder, the first, who we, we tend to not talk about too much, we tend to forget about him, was of a prophetic line and ended up being king. Um, but was not of strictly royal descent himself. Again, uh, verging under unpublished paper territory. But there's some speculation that some of the Nephites who went back to try and settle Zenith's party, went back to try and settle the land of Nephi, Nephi, that that might have been comprised of some of the royal descendants who weren't happy being ruled over by somebody else. Okay. And they wanted to go reclaim their
0: birthright. But they stayed Nephites as far as the... It's a cultural the, identity. Yeah, exactly. So this may be one of the earlier parts where we see... Nephite not being a genealogical mm-hmm. thing, but where we see it split off to be more of an ideological, political, geographical, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. type of use of a word. All right. Virginian. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there we go. That was uh, our discussion on chapter 20. And uh, next week, we are going to present our last chapter on Life of Nephi by George Buchanan But please enjoy chapter 20. And uh, stay tuned for next week and our tease for what we're going to be doing after we're finished with this book. Life of Nephi by George Q. Cannon Chapter 20 Fifty-five years from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem, Nephi gave a commandment to his brother Jacob concerning the small plates upon which he engraved so many revelations and so much doctrine. He desired his brother to keep them, and to hand them down to his children after him, and to be sure and pursue the same course with them that he had, engrave upon them sacred things which were preached, and any great revelations or prophecies that might be given. Jacob did this, and they remained in the hands of his lineage until Amalachi, who was a descendant of his, placed them in the custody of King Benjamin. Jacob does not inform us in his book that we have received how long this was before the death of Nephi, but. As he says in the same connection, that Nephi began to be old and saw that he must die. It is probable that it was only a short time. It was then that Nephi anointed a man to be a king and a ruler over his people. He was so greatly beloved by them through his self-sacrificing and continuous labors for them and his courage in defending them, for he had been compelled to have recourse to the sword of Laban and to wield it in their defense against the attacks of the Lamanites that they were desirous to retain in remembrance his name. They therefore called his successors, 2nd Nephi, 3rd Nephi, etc. Let them be of whatever name they would. The government was, without doubt, more patriarchal than monarchical in its character. Upon one occasion, Nephi's brother Jacob, in addressing the people, uses this language. Having been called of God and ordained after the manner of his holy order, and having been consecrated by my brother Nephi, unto whom ye look as a king or a protector, and on whom ye depend for safety. Yet Nephi himself informs us that his people desired that he should be their king. But he adds, I, Nephi, was desirous that they should have no king. Nevertheless, I did for them according to that which was in my power. This explains the relationship which he bore to them. He taught them the will of God, administered ordinances unto them, was their leader in all civil and religious matters in repelling the attacks of their enemies, and was able to teach them mechanism and the arts of manufacturing. To such a man his people would naturally look, as Jacob says, as a king or protector. Before his death it appears that he chose his brother Jacob, who was a man of great faith and a prophet, and who, with Joseph, another brother, had been ordained a priest and teacher by him over the land of the Nephites. To take the lead in all spiritual matters, and to have charge of the records upon which the more sacred things were to be kept, and anointed another to be ruler in civil affairs, whether it was one of his own sons or not, we are not informed. Neither is it stated that this office was made hereditary. From what is said subsequently in the record respecting the kings, however, it seems clear that this office did descend from father to son. But the people also had a voice in choosing the king. The brief allusion which is made to these kings by Jerem nearly two centuries after Nephi's death shows that for that period they had been mighty and faithful men of God. Upwards of 400 years after Nephi's departure, a glimpse is given us of the mode of life which the king led. Speaking of Mosiah son of Benjamin, it is said, And King Mosiah did cause his people that they should till the earth, and he also himself did till the earth, that thereby he might do according to that which his father had done in all things. Such a monarchy, as is here described, would be an inexpensive form of government, and it is probable that it was chiefly of this character from the beginning. We know that the two kings who preceded Mosiah were like himself, prophets of God. He himself was a seer also, as was his grandfather of the same name, and most likely his father Benjamin, and he had in his possession the Urim and Thummim. Such men ruled the people in righteousness and as kind fathers, and kept the expense of government down to the lowest point. Whether or not there was a change of dynasty when the first Mosiah was chosen king is not certain from what is written by Malachi in the Book of Omni, though it does not appear improbable. Neither does it appear why the kings, Mosiah, Benjamin, and Mosiah, were not called by the dynastic name of Nephi, according to the custom which prevailed during the long lifetime of Jacob, and probably afterwards. If a change of dynasty did occur, this custom may have been changed, though scarcely for that cause alone. As Nephi was still the revered founder of the nation, it may be that the dynastic name was omitted, and their own names mentioned for the purpose of better distinguishing them. When the record which was kept by the kings upon the other plates of Nephi shall be brought forth, we shall have knowledge respecting the history of the Nephites, covering this period of upwards of four centuries, that will be of inestimable value. One thing, however, is plain from that which has come to us, that when the first Mosiah became king, in him was again united the kingly and priestly authority. Thank you for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast from the archives of Book of Mormon Central. For the latest information on additions to the Book of Mormon Central archive, or to inquire about archive items like this one, visit us online at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org.